It's rare when you find someone who is a public figure and a celebrity and who's not only not scared to speak out on controversial issues, but also truly advocates for change, especially protecting our youth from false advertising that promotes body issues. Jamila Jamil is such a person. And on today's podcast, we have a brilliant discussion on so many important mental health issues like body dysmorphia, her own more than 20 years struggle with anorexia, the energy draining and joy stealing this focus has, the pressure on women to live up to patriarchal standards, the influence of social media on our youth, and so much more. Jamila is a British actress, model, activist, and BBC radio host. She gained widespread recognition in the TV series The Good Place. And in addition to her acting career, Jamila is known for her body positivity advocacy and campaigns against beauty standards and body shaming. She co-founded the Iway Movement and podcast promoting self-worth beyond physical appearance, which she recently interviewed me on. Jamila has been an outspoken advocate for inclusivity, mental health awareness and LGBTQ rights and is an active voice in the fight against online bullying and misinformation. Let's dive into today's podcast. Jamila, I am so thrilled and honored and so excited to talk to you again. I had the best, best interview when you interviewed me. It was like I'd known you my whole life. It's like, as you said, we're best friends now. You know, it's just, it was amazing. You're incredible. You're an inspiration. You're just a wonderful person. I know you've got all kinds of accolades behind your name, but I just want to say you're amazing. You're a wonderful person. And I just see you. You're just, you're just wonderful. Thank you for coming on my podcast. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. I love your work and I'm thrilled to be here. Jamila, I love your podcast, Iway. It's beautiful. And I know you started that as a, almost like a, a social media, it was a social media post. and then It was a social media a post that, yeah, that became a movement and then now has kind of grown into content and it's changed shape a lot from, from when it first started. From when you no. first started, it was, what was your first start? How did you start? What was your objective when you started? So when I started it, it was just an angry post because I just joined Instagram and kept on seeing pictures of of women, like very successful, very acclaimed women popping up on my feed with a number written across their body. And that number wasn't, you know, I don't know, the usual other nonsense accolades we give people like um, how many followers they have or how much money they are worth or how many awards they've won. But it was somehow even more reductive than that. It was how much they weigh. And once I'd clicked on one of those posts by mistake, suddenly I was being bombarded with them because the algorithm went, oh, she's interested in how much celebrities weigh. And I realized that, oh, my God, there are all these posts of these women and how much they weigh. You can never find a picture of men and how much they weigh if they're not like a UFC fighter uh, or some sort of bodybuilder. And I was so mad because it was 20 years since I'd first developed an eating disorder and I I struggled with one and it almost killed me for two decades. And here I was, 32 years old, looking at the same shit that took me down when I was 11. And I was just so devastated to see that. So I just wrote on my very small Twitter account at the time, I weigh my contributions to society. I weigh my relationship. I weigh my orgasms. I weigh the body parts that I don't like. I weigh the sum of all of my motherfucking parts. And 
it went viral and it really resonated with people. And then people started to send theirs back to me. And within a few days, I had like 10,000 from around the world. And I started an Instagram account thinking it would just be a short fad. And it turned into a movement. And that movement has now lasted for about five years. It has expanded, a, um, not away, but it has expanded beyond just being around body image and eating disorders. And now is just a mental health movement. And that's why you and I have crossed paths because yeah. I want to talk to neuroscientists and I want to talk to anyone I can who has any kind of advice or help for people to have autonomy over their mental health. And eating disorders fall within the mental health issue, given that they are the number one cause of death in any in any mm -hmm. mental illness, which is such a staggering statistic, given the fact that we don't really take them that seriously. But that's that's where my work has taken me. An angry tweet when I had PMS has led to five, almost six years of intense advocacy in which I've spoken in Congress. I've spoken to the Senate. I've worked with politicians. I've changed global policies on Instagram and Facebook. And now I have this lovely podcast where I get to learn from very clever people, people who are much cleverer than me, like yourself. Uh, and I get to share my learning journey with my followers. That is... It's just astounding. And just the fact that you are making changes that are not just for one or two people, but it's whole policy changes. So talk about the changes that you actually impacted, that changed on Instagram and, and in Senate. Talk about those things. That, that's just amazing. Well, I mean, these things are all kind of ongoing, but what we're doing is working to make this world safer, especially for children, because some of the most effective work you can do with eating disorders specifically is preventative. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Absolutely. once you have an eating disorder, I think something like only 30 percent of people with anorexia will ever recover, which yep. is a terrifyingly sad low number. And 30 uh, percent of those people will either be will either die from it or uh, it'll destroy their life. And another 30 percent will just kind of cope through it, which I think is probably what I was doing for the longest time. And so we work around the bullying around weight in schools and the inappropriate behavior from teachers, the fact that they weigh children in schools. Yeah. We talk about the diet products that are sold. Uh, it's it's wild to me that, you know, it's with any kind of drug or cigarettes or anything, they have to write all the dangers and the side effects mm -hmm. right on the front of the packet or right on the post. But when it comes to any kind of supplement, especially weight loss yeah. stuff, there's no, there's no legislation to inform to, to enforce the information mm -hmm. around the side effects. And so we found that there's amphetamines, which is speed in a lot of weight loss products. There's a lot of laxatives and in a lot of the weight gain products, like muscle build products that are predominantly marketed to young boys to get that kind of big muscular Marvel body. Mm -hmm. There's Viagra and toxic heavy metals. And so my work within government or politics uh, or with Instagram and Facebook has all been around trying to protect children from being able to access or even see these products so that at least they can make it to 18 uh, without destroying their growing bodies and without polluting their growing minds. It's not perfect, but it's, it's the, you know, you have to do these things step by step and incrementally. And I feel like children, and I think you feel similarly, which is why. Yeah. Your book is is so much around uh, neurocycling, the trauma for children. But um, that seems to be the most logical place to start where I can, it's it's going to be much harder to, to help and fix the people who have already been so harmed. And I'm definitely focusing on yeah. that a lot with mm -hmm. my work for adults. But when it comes to legislation, 
I would love to try to to stop it, you know, nip it in the bud. And this is brilliant because you're taking a proactive approach and it's also a double pincer approach. Help people already stuck in it or have been stuck in it and be proactive from the other side. And this is it's just vital because then as we were talking when you when you interviewed me as well, we we're talking about how every experience that we have and that maybe that's that young girl seeing that diet product or scrolling social media and mm. seeing that that's what you've got to look like to be accepted and it's someone who's not a realistic body size that is that exposure is actually being wired into the brain and it creates such a vulnerability in a child who doesn't know how to process that and that creates a whole lot of mental confusion which then disrupts how the body functions and creates this ongoing cycle so by yeah. having controls in place proactively is vital because you, you can, we can teach our kids not to look at, and we have to do that. But we also have to go from the other side. What are we actually letting our children look at? Yeah, and the research shows that now children as young as four years old are developing body it's, image issues, which is just unthinkable. It's unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Children I used to be, as- yeah, I used to be shocked that even at eleven, when I'm preteen, I was horrified that my innocence was taken away from me at such a young age. But I cannot fathom that a four-year-old could be aware of body size and body image. But that's how much yeah. we've destroyed the world. Exactly. And how much you've destroyed it for the next generation and children mm-hmm. as young as four are committing suicide. You know, so when mm-hmm. we've got a society that children are worried about restricting food and what they look like and are dying at the ages of four, we have a problem. And that's why I have so much an absolute respect for your work and the fact that you don't, one thing that is one of my favorite things about you is you don't care what people think, or maybe mm-hmm. you do, but you certainly have learned how to handle that. You say what's, what you believe is wrong and you speak out for what is right. And that is a very powerful thing. And you, so you're advocating for women to be able to do that. So in your work, yes, helping children, helping with eating disorders, you're also becoming an encouraging voice for women to speak out and I can relate to that because as a scientist I mean I'm 60 my that 38 years ago when I 40 years ago when I started in the field if you're a woman in science you know it, mm-hmm. it was always they'd come up to my husband and say oh Dr. Leaf assuming he was the doctor mm-hmm. and I know that's a little that's not a huge thing it's not a destructively no thing, no but, but it's, it, it, it's it represents something constant microaggression you're also microaggression yeah you're also a beautiful woman and I can't imagine that that made it any easier to be taken seriously. You, you, you're very kind, but yeah, if they take you. Yeah, I've had scientists turn around and say, "You're not a scientist." Meanwhile, I'm doing, yeah. I'm hardcore scientist. I'm doing full on research. Mm-hmm. So that that happens, and and you can you can relate to that too. So it's speaking out and giving women the the power from young because young girls are are following you, and you you're helping from both sides. Children learn and make sense of the world around them through play. While they're having fun, they're developing their cognitive, physical, social, and emotional skills. But play is also the key in building your child's mental health and is a great way to relieve stress. That's why I designed and developed Brainy, a super cute plush toy to help your child learn about their incredible brains and minds and how to understand and express emotions in a healthy way. Brainy will help your little ones become super self-regulators from young. And to help your child even more, I designed a coloring book for kids to help your child learn about emotions and thoughts and how to manage them. This coloring book is also a great way to spend time with your child or students as you color together while learning how to express feelings in a healthy way. And right now you can get both Brainy and the coloring book on sale for 15% off with the code BRAINY15 at drleaf.com. 
The link will be in the show notes. I really just want people to have agency. I really just want specifically women, but all people to feel a sense of agency. I want people to feel like in this world of chaos in which we're constantly being preyed upon, you know, women are 80% of the consumer market. So Mm -hmm. the easiest way to make people buy things is to make them feel a lack in some ways. So either they don't have enough or they aren't enough. And so women are constantly attacked psychologically, constantly to feel like you're not good enough. And every time uh, the beauty standards start to be met, they change and raise the bar and now make a new, unrealistic and insane beauty standard that only women have to follow. Like only women are told that they have to beat aging. Like when a man gets older and he's got graying hair and wrinkles, we we openly call him zaddy or we say that it's sexy and we call his hair salt and pepper. We don't call women's graying hair salt and pepper. We do not call a woman's lines dignified. We make women apologize for having dared to live long enough for the signs of our age to show on our face. And it's really devastating and and time consuming. And it takes so much away from us because we have so much to experience in this world Mm -hmm. and so much to learn about ourselves. And we can't concentrate on those things if we're constantly trying to do these arbitrary, nonsense, impossible things like cheat time and gravity. That's very time consuming. Thinking about food all the time, thinking about exercise, thinking about how much you hate yourself, thinking about how much you wish you looked like something else. All of these things took up so much of my time when I was younger. And it made me a boring and miserable person and and all of this a lot of this was to try to look more attractive you know a lot of the time and actually I had no sex drive because my estrogen was on the floor because I was starving myself and I was obsessed and consumed with starvation and with covering up my starvation it's a full-time job anorexia and so I would just love to give people back the gift of time and say like this life is for you you are not a billboard for everyone else Mm -hmm. and there are people in this world who the ones who are worthwhile will love you for who you are who will find you attractive for who you are and and will need you for who you are Mm -hmm. you don't have to meet these arbitrary standards that don't mean anything and truly don't make anyone happy whenever I was at the epitome of my sort of vogue standard of thinness and beauty was always my most suicidal years they were always Mm -hmm. where I was the closest to death and so I've gone out of my way to just make try to normalize people being different and and also you know the body positivity campaign is beautiful but it doesn't work for everyone because some of us just have body dysmorphia or we are incapable of of shutting out the noise of hatred of women and so for those people I I push body neutrality which is where I'm not asking you to love your body I'm not asking you to see your thighs differently I'm saying let's forget about our bodies let's think of them only as a vessel that takes us to and from the adventures in our life Treat mm. your body like it's your best friend. Like I, I really think personifying things can psychologically really empower people to mm-hmm. have a different perspective. And I, I like to think of my body as my best friend, as my ride or die, who once let me throw a one month house party and didn't let me die at the end of that, mm-hmm. who took me through COVID, who took me through car accidents. Like this is the best friend I will ever have. And I'm so sorry for how I spoke to it. And I'm so sorry for everything I did to it and the ways that I starved it and hurt it and resented it when all it was ever trying to do was make me feel as good as it could. And so that has been part of my healing and that's the journey that I'm trying to help others along uh, with my work That's beautiful. alongside other mental health stuff. No, that is beautiful. It gives me chills. And 
it's so relatable when you talk about it being a full-time job. I battled mm -hmm. as well. I battled when I was younger. I was University of Cape Town. And there were two of my, I was studying one, uh, two of my, my best friend and I, we just decided we, we just not done enough. And we started this literal starvation thing. So when you talk about how you used to walk around with a bag of one pepper cut up and you'd feed mm -hmm. yourself that for that. I mean, it was just, we put these, you talk about the genes that we, you know, you make comments about the genes that you thought we'd fit into at 18 or something. Mm -hmm. I remember putting a pair of these impossibly tiny shorts on the door and we pinned it up there and said, I hate you until you can fit into this. I remember doing things like that mm -hmm. and literally not eating either. And here I'm doing a full-time degree. I'm working terrible hours in a hospital and I'm not eating. You know, and it was so, I couldn't look. I remember one day my sister turning around to me and saying, because I looked at this apple and I was desperate to eat that apple. But I had controlled myself so much to the point where my big sister, who's just someone who just really is amazing and who's just been very supportive about so many things, turned around and said to me, how many calories is that? Because she knew that I couldn't look at that apple without seeing the calories. And that thinking back in the 70s, 60s, when I was born in 63, 60s, 70s, 80s, I grew up in an environment where you counted calories, where you had to be thin, where literally my mother, not blaming her, I love her, she's 87, but she grew up in that environment that you had to be thin to get a man. And Yeah. I mean. I was weighed every day as a child. I was weighed every single day. And that taught me that based on the reaction of my parents, based on the number, that a weighing scale could dictate how happy I was allowed to be that day. How oh confident was I allowed to be? How good was this day going to be? And I was a child. And so, you know, the vending machine at school became this sort of like Darth Vader figure in my life of temptation as I was drinking powdered soup when I was growing. And I'm I'm tall. I'm five ten and a half. Wow. And I grew before the age of I hit that height before the age of about 13 or 14. So wow. so I was really a growing child. And then my period stopped. And I, my hair started falling out. I started developing bed sores and I was just being congratulated left, right and center because it was the dawn of heroin chic. And oh, wow. It, it was a, it's just such a brutal, sad time. I don't remember my teens or my twenties because I think my brain was dying during that time. Mm. I don't remember anything that happens. It's big, big, thankfully, I was a sort of stupid thing to say, but like, had I not been famous from the age of 22 and therefore my entire youth had been documented in film and pictures, I, uh, I wouldn't believe that any of it happened because I wasn't there. I wasn't in my body. Wow. You just exist somewhere in like this, in purgatory when you're, um, when you're that anorexic and, I just lost so much time and I'm so sad about all the time that I lost. And I guess now that I've come out of it, my body is so fucked from what I did and mm -hmm. my bone density and my teeth and, and my kidneys don't work properly and my digestive system is fucked. And, and I have been healthy for a long time and I can't do enough to explain to young people the ramifications of later. This is a generation that wants everything now. And mm. like, I want love now. I want sex now. I want Amazon delivery now. Uh, mm. You know, Uber Eats, yeah. like, all these different things. It's like instant, instant, instant. I want weight loss immediately. I want abs tomorrow. And, and that's what I was like. And the problem is, is that we are deliberately not taught to zoom out and look ahead. Because mm. if we did, we wouldn't make most of the decisions that uh. we do. And yeah. I am now this kind of like, I'm the ghost of eating disorders past where I've come back to warn everyone that 
please don't end up like me because I'll never have my health back. I'll never be okay. At some point, I'm going to have to get another kidney because of what I did. And so I'm begging young people to please zoom out and remember that this is a lot. This is a marathon and you have to prepare for it and you have to feed your body and nourish it and, and learn about good nutrition and protect yourself because it's so not fucking worth it. No pair of jeans I was able to fit into, no compliment I ever get, got no cover of any magazine. None of it was worth it. Mm. I remember you saying, thank you for your vulnerability, by the way. I remember you saying on one of your interviews, you spoke about how you got into some beautiful dress for some event and mm. how you couldn't even last. And everyone's complimenting you how beautiful and gorgeous and stunning and which you are anyway. But you obviously would, had starved yourself to that point. You had no energy. You had to go home after half an hour. So you couldn't even enjoy yeah. the event. And this is the distortion about this, mm -hmm. this total distorted totally toxic view that we have of unrealistic yeah I um but I was part of the lie you know I was part of the problem I was smiling in those photos I was I was you know kind of doing that thing where you curl your shoulders in so your clavicles are sticking out and my Gosh. eye was doing skinny arm and you know when people would be like how do you get your figure in my interviews I was like oh I just eat what I like just oh. a stupid asshole I have so many regrets. I mean, I've, I've, God knows I've done the work to atone for anything that I put out into the world that contributed to the gaslighting of women around their bodies. But that's mm. what it is. That's what we participate in when we're not transparent. Like, it, look, you could lose weight. You can get surgery. You can get Botox. You can get a face of whatever you want. But if we aren't transparent about it, that's all I care about. I'm not telling women not to care about the way that they look. We can all make whatever changes we want. But if we aren't transparent about it, what we're doing is we're gaslighting other women. And I mean that in the true yeah. sense of the term gaslighting, which I know mm -hmm. gets used incorrectly. We are telling women like, no, there's, this is nothing. This is just nature. Nothing. I did nothing. I, you're crazy if you think that I've done anything to myself. This is just walking. I've just been swimming. And that's what this change has been. And then these women feel that's bad about themselves as though they failed in some way. You know, women who are in their 50s, actresses who I've watched my whole generation. Yeah. Uh, sorry, actresses that I've watched my whole life. I look at them on magazine covers and they still look younger than me. And they're, in, they're 20 years older than me because of all the airbrushing and the fillers and the Botox that they never admit to. The reason I love Jane Fonda so much is because oh, she's yeah. like, yeah, of course I had a facelift. Done Great, it, yeah. fine, give a shit. Chrissy yeah. Teigen, I think, once said all the different, you know, uh, surgeries that she'd had to her face and, and people weren't mad or mean about it. They were like, thanks for letting us know. And so yeah. that's, you know, that's one of the things that I ask for amongst my peers is let's not be a part of making people feel crazy or like they're a failure, like shit because we've had access to things they haven't had access to. More podcasts will play. Thanks to Babel, I know what that means. Do you? Recently, I've been relearning how to speak French with Babel, and you can too, because with Babel, you can start speaking new languages in just three weeks. Why Babel? Because it works. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor or fooling yourself with language apps that are little more than games, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
I really love how convenient Babel's courses are. They have helped me learn real-life conversation skills. It's so easy to pick up on how to order food, ask for directions, and speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation or look on helplessly knowing that you can't communicate. Using their unique voice recognition technology, not only am I relearning to speak French, but also pronounce the words correctly as well. Babel is truly different from other language programs. Their courses are designed by real people for real conversations. And all their tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So, if you want to learn a new language, try Babel today. Here's a special limited time deal for my listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babel subscription, but only for my listeners. At babble.com slash leaf. Get up to 55% off at babble.com slash leaf, spelled B A B B E L dot com slash leaf. Rules and restrictions may apply. The link and details will be in the show notes. That is brilliant. That is such an inviting. Well, it's just the bare minimum. It is, but it's it's brilliant, but it's a basic call because if you think of it, what is driving us to actually look or live up to this? absolutely weird standard out there and this is something Mm -hmm. you speak to as well you know the whole patriarchy and the whole what is the what is a woman supposed to look like to that has been it's like it's in our dna it's it comes through generations i mean i remember my mom and her mom sitting on standing in front of my big sister and telling her she's overweight i mean she was not she couldn't have been i was probably four or five so she couldn't have been more than 11 or 12 you know, and I mean, how, and, and they were doing it because that's what they were told. And, you know, this generational thing, and who was telling them that? I mean, who's setting the standard? We know who it is. We know it's the, you know, we, but I'd love you to just speak well, to that because I know you're passionate about that. But what's interesting, right, is that if you get on a plane to another country in the same hour on the same day, the beauty standard is completely different. Yeah. So, you know, you have girls taking like hormones that are meant for poultry, they're taking those hormones to be able to fatten up and get bigger breasts and bigger bodies mm. because the bigger you look, the more it looks like you come from wealth and then mm-hmm. someone's more likely to want to marry you. And, you know, I live in California where all the women are like risking skin cancer to try and look browner. And then yeah. I go to India and everyone's taking bleaching cream, which God knows what the long-term effect of that oh, is, wow. to look whiter. And so no one can decide uh, what the actual beauty standard is, which should be in and of itself enough for us to realize this is arbitrary nonsense to just say whatever you yeah. are is the wrong thing. Whatever you mm. are is the wrong thing. And you must focus on taking up less space. We must distract you from being able to like, how can we ever be equal as a gender when we're so distracted, when we have so much extra homework? It's not possible. And so no. I do believe it is by design, right? I don't believe there are six specific Dr. Evil characters, but no. I do think that the media is owned and run by almost entirely men. Yeah. The music stu- the music uh, labels are run by men. The film studios run by are men. Run by the men. magazines are run by men. Even if the women are editors, they are all answering to men. The beauty yeah. brands are mostly are owned by men. By men. Uh, the, the diet industry, men. Like all of these things. The exercise industry, predominantly men. And so mm-hmm. th- there is a kind of haze in the air as to what is expected of us. And even though we absolutely uphold a lot of these patriarchal standards and are incredibly toxic to each other, we need to recognize that 
we have been conditioned into this and we mustn't keep parroting the same thing to ourselves mm -mm, and to each mm -mm. other because this didn't come from women. No. This didn't come from women. I had the most interesting no. I had the most interesting night out recently and God knows I'm going to get into so much trouble probably for saying this. Sorry for no, saying that's it in okay. the podcast. No. But Say um Go for I it. went out to a party of lesbians recently where like for you. everyone was gay. And Beautiful. I I'd normally when you go to a queer party it's predominantly in my experience been like mostly gay men, right? Mm -hmm. And then some but this was almost only women at this party. Uh very few straight women. Um and I'd never been in a room that felt so untense where the women were being so funny and so relaxed and very few of them had really done anything to their faces. They had kind of regular bodies that showed the signs of time and they uh, hadn't particularly preened their hair and they were wearing minimal makeup and being opinionated and having funny arguments and there was such a feeling of like extraordinary freedom and these women looked amazing by the love way because I love the look of an aging human being like I just I love the look of life on someone's face I can't wait to get older and to show those signs on my face and so I recognized after like being there for a few hours my friend and I were like why has this been the most fun party we've ever been to and it's because these people have grown up with an absence of any desire or feeling of obligation to meet patriarchal standards. Oh. They are not trying to entice men. They are tr not trying to impress men. They, they, f they live in a kind of, and I'm not saying this for all lesbians everywhere, but just the lesbians Your I was experience. at that party with, yeah. they, mm -hmm. they didn't feel like they needed to reduce themselves in any way. They didn't need to be super skinny, take up less space. They didn't need to pretend to be less intelligent than they were, which so many of my, even my best friends do. They didn't feel the need to uh, hide their sense of humor or their vulgarity. They were just fucking free. It was like a utopia. Wow. And I don't say this as like a way of, oh, I hate men. I love men. No, a lot of my best I know friends you are do. men. Yeah. Loads of my roommates are, no, almost all my roommates are men. Like I, I love men. And, and I feel sad. I felt sad after that party that yeah. men don't really get to know women. Because mm -hmm. we're all, all living in these bubbles gender stereotypes that mean that we kind of have to put this armor on before we engage with each other and so we don't get to learn how sensitive they are they don't get to learn how funny and bold we are a lot of the time because we're taught to just reduce 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 and so it, there's just something about that that struck me I mean I don't have an uh, a, a point especially but just to say that like it sort of reinforced my theory as to the fact that there is a there is a male motive there's a patriarchal gaze motivation I think when you are raised mm. knowing that you have to find a partner in the opposite gender and these women seem to be really divorced from that and it made me really happy and really sad at the same time because who would we be if we didn't live with the mist of patriarchal expectation well I'm thrilled you brought that up and I absolutely love that you said what you've said and that is such an amazing experience that you've had and I've had a similar experience and, and not as not a total this very similar experience and it was also it was there was just it was it was me and each other you know it was you're looking it was like I was looking at you it wasn't the outside it was really that connection that warm connection that human human connection you know which is what we need 
to bring back into society. And it's, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of years of mm. that kind of view. And we all wear it. And it's not like we're trying to do some huge, big conspiracy theory thing here. This is a reality that this is how society has been structured for way too long. And the price has been paid, very, a very heavy price has been paid just in, in the story of your life alone and my life alone. You know, it's, it's, it, this is not good. And so thank goodness that we are in a, a time that we can speak out and share those things. So, I mean, that's mm. a beautiful, beautiful, I'm so pleased that you shared that because can you imagine if we can drop the, and you know, you, you get the same kind of thing when you're sitting with a group of friends and all that, you know, your girlfriends or whatever, that there's no airs and graces or people that you totally relaxed with where you can be yourself. It doesn't matter what you look like. That's what we should be applying across the board. It's just but an it's interesting thing. And I'm not saying that straight women aren't interesting and wonderful and fabulous. No, but I know it's definitely you're not much that. more of a struggle to be yourself in the presence of men. And I noticed that even some of my strongest and funniest and most amazing friends, they just change as soon as a man's in the room, even a man that they're not necessarily even attracted to. It's yeah. a, a sort of muscle memory to yeah, lo lower to lower your voice, pull back your opinion, be less vulgar maybe be less funny because that's seen as threatening when women are funny. Um, and, and it's it, their body language changes, their mm. concern, their, their focus shifts onto what they're concerned with their voice sometimes pitches up. It's, it's a phenomena. And it was yeah. the first time I, in a really long time I'd seen like, Oh, this is, this is who we are. I love it. But if that's who we are, we need to build who we are. We need to build on that. that it's in there. It's in there with all of yeah, us. Like a friend exactly. of mine told me that she always challenges her friends on how they uh, speak when they're ordering food. Because a lot of us go into a little girl voice and we pitch up our voices. And so she's like, order your food in your real voice. That's so like, good. In your in your proper voice, in your real voice, because normally we're like, oh yes, can I please have a? And we we pitch up and we go into this sort of apologetic stage, it's like just uh, just order it in your real voice. That's and and it's a... just a small thing, but it's such a helpful way to start looking for it. And once you start looking for it, you can't unsee it. You start to see it everywhere in yourself oh, no. and in other people. Like, oh, why did I do that? It's fascinating, and I think it's it's something I've been working on a lot for the last few years. Uh, in like really finding who I really am whether people like it or not and it's been exciting and I've never felt more in my body I've never felt more happy less depressed less numb I've never felt so liberated I uh I'm I never ever thought I could be this happy ever in my life I thought I was destined to always be miserable and I feel so good wow. because I'm just existing in my truth and if that's not for everyone that's okay we have yeah, to learn that yeah. that is okay. I yeah. have enough people. I have my small group of solid, amazing friends who accept me for who I am. And and that's all I'll ever need. I don't need the approval of, of everyone else. I think that's a terrible, dangerous lie that's told specifically to women. Holds very heavily to women. And it affects men too, but women are mm -hmm. getting it more. So I totally agree with that. And I love that to find your truth. And that's really... It, when you know who you are and you feel confident in that, the things may buffet you. There's still going to be things that in certain activators, I hate the word triggers, um, act, things that will activate you or work you up or whatever. But if you if you started developing that inner core, that you can actually be yourself, speak out loud in the restaurant, not change your body, body aware, the way you hold your body when a man walks around. Or I mean, like I hate it. I hate going to those conversations where the men don't have to dominate or as you speak, they kind of overspeak you. I, that, that just, that makes me just speak louder. 
and mm-hmm. challenge that because we need to and and to be able to have the courage to do that is what we why we're we having this conversation you know i know when you when you were talking about the work that i do one of the things that i talk a lot about is being is self-regulation and it's the active ingredient of managing our mind and what you're talking about in this case is us women becoming very aware and the girls and the young girls becoming aware of how we show up mm-hmm. are you showing up with that quite childlike voice almost apologetic in the restaurant are you changing so are you changing in front of a group of men are you trying to shrink physically and mentally when you're in the presence of what you what has been epigenetically wired in epigenetically through the through the generations it's passed from one generation to the next these these um networks of pass through the sperm and the ovum and they just keep generating are we responding and to to that but that doesn't have to be how it is because we know neuroscientifically mm-hmm. that whatever your parents have gone through and their parents, and like my mom, for example, growing up in that environment of counting calories and having to be thin to attract a man kind of environment because she's 87 now. So you could, that, you know, that was what it was like back in when she was 18 and 19. That came through to me. And, but I don't have to continue that. And I had to catch myself because it started going on to my four, my four children. I have three girls. They all battle with eating disorders. Mm. Um, and, and, and a lot of it was, because they saw what I, how I was battling, you know, and so if we can break that pattern, so it's how we show up. So what, what this kind of conversation is great, because if we can be aware, what are those signals that we can tell the young girls and those four-year-olds and those 11-year-olds and whatever, and RA, not RA, I'm much older than you, but every age of woman, mm. what are the signals to look out for that you are potentially falling prey to that and to look at those signals and then to ask yourself okay if you want to do some botox or whatever i mean what are you doing it for are you doing it because it makes you actually feel good about yourself or you're doing it because you feel like you need to be accepted and i know that's a basic question but to look at our signals to create that awareness that's where we start because that's when we can then start finding that toxic literal protein tree-like structure in the brain and we can break that epigenetic pattern and this is something we can do it's a Mm. conversations like this and what you're doing are vital in that role it's all based on what we're looking at you know as much of this is epigenetics there's also so much of this is nurture so much of this is the environment oh, totally. we're in and the totally. constant bombarding of this imagery i am um, started to actively program my algorithm to only show me dogs or pictures of uh like old italian screen sirens because that's <laughs> that. that's like just curvy women eating pasta like that's Love what it. I wanted to see, like, and and women who are bigger than that. But I deliberately clicked on and would only spend significant amounts of time on videos where I was trying to actually train my my algorithm and quickly stro- scrolling away from or uh, saying, don't show me more images like this or blocking diet ads that then informed my algorithm that all I want to see is Sophia Loren eating pasta. Mm-hmm. And in doing so for the first time ever, as my body is, of course, like I've gained 40 pounds since I was anorexic, but this is the body that I have and I'm growing to love it because I'm able to see Mm -hmm. more of that being normalized. And it shouldn't rely on what you see outside of yourself, but we are all only human. And deprogramming has several steps. And the beginning of my deprogramming has been to hyper-normalize, which is why the importance of radical inclusivity has been such a big Mm -hmm. deal for so many people, seeing models who are bigger and actresses who are bigger. And we just sort of have enough, but, you know, we need more people with disabilities being visible so that 
you can see yourself and you can go, well, that's beautiful. So maybe I can mm. be beautiful. Mm. Um, but just hacking your your uh, explore page and your algorithm is an amazing way to practice self-defense of the mind because you have no idea how much of an impact it is. It's the first thing we look at in the day and often the last thing we look at mm. at night, which goes against everything neuroscience tells us, but it's what exactly. we all do. Um, and so if you are someone who does that with your phone, remember that you are taking that in all of the time, straight from your hand to your brain. Mm -hmm. You must control. You have control. It feels like we don't, but we do. We have all of the control as to what it exactly. is. We get to program what we, what we in, inhale. And I think it's very important that what we're ingesting is uh, imagery that doesn't lead to shame because shame is a waste of time. Oh, that's it's so beautifully said. And it's what you think about the most will grow. So if you're scrolling on that social media before you go to bed, when you wake up mm -hmm. for hours during the day, if that's what you, that's the lens, that's what you're growing. And that's what's going to influence how you function and see yourself. But to mm -hmm. know that you can recognize the signals because your mind brain body connections are always telling you, looking for things that are disruptive to your functioning. So mm. if we can recognize that and, and become a, these conversations make us aware that oh hang on maybe listen that's not maybe I should look at this differently maybe I should stand back and observe myself differently and and shift you you start then becoming empowered to change your mind and body network I don't know if I told you this before in the previous conversation or you've heard me say this but did you know that like up to 95 percent of what we are being exposed to so this is in any one day and over our lifetime so nurturing and just what you look just being alive Mm -hmm. is being a, is being wired into the networks of our mind brain body connection without us even being aware of it and yeah. we're only conscious of around about five to ten percent so these so we consciously watching you know on that cell phone and reading those things and being driven by the algorithms instead of us driving the algorithms like you've described but there's another 95 percent that's going in around you the zeitgeist you're absorbing but your mind brain body connection actually if you train yourself to be more aware of your signals and have these deep conversations and which are ways of training yourself to be more observant of how you are asking for that food in the in the restaurant you can learn to tune in to what you've actually started absorbing so this year thousands of years of how women have been literally trained to just become almost like showcasing for males and it's a very simple some summary of of sort of the patriarchal kind of concept but to be sort of submissive and put themselves back and put the mail forward that we can we can actually that's been so wide into us over time but also in our day-to-day time day-to-day -day living but we can actually change that because our brain is neuroplastic and our mind is neuroplastic so we know that we can change it it doesn't have to be our story so we can listen and our body mind brain body connections always looking for the disruptions that are making us feel disrupted and sending them as signals so we, you know, we can tune into this. So we can actually be empowered to change. I was, um, I was asking a doctor once because you know it's very hard to control intrusive thoughts and yeah. it's very hard to control the inner bully. You know, the voice of the inner bully. Mm -hmm. And I was told by a doctor once that words have authority over thoughts and that you can interrupt thoughts by speaking out loud, and and literally sometimes just saying no, no, we're not doing this. And, and using your voice, and I don't know if there's any science behind that, but I do know that that has worked for me and several other people that I know to just interrupt the thought sometimes with your voice. Otherwise, they can just ping pong around in there. It becomes a sort of echo chamber of sometimes some of the most damaging, scary thoughts. I think a lot of my most suicidal moments yeah. were because there was nothing to interrupt 
those thoughts that were spiraling down a well. And so I personally am someone who just goes, no, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. There is a small group of men who make a lot of money from thoughts like the ones that I'm having. They benefit from our tears and our self-hatred. And so I'm not going to fund them any longer. And that immediately helps. That's brilliant. And there's so much science behind what you've just said. Because oh, really? It, yeah, totally. So an intrusive thought, here's another angle. An intrusive thought is your new best friend. So mm -hmm. they're not things to be scared of. And why would they be your new best friend? All these ping pong thoughts, because when you see them as, oh, they're telling me something, do I mm -hmm. like what they're telling me? So by you speaking out loud, what you do is you enable yourself to go into a state that is that I call the multiple perspective advantage. It's the ability to stand back and observe yourself and to have these conversations and to draw on your inner wisdom, which is the core of who you are. So our messy mind is, is just getting ping ponging around these intrusive thoughts, but our wise mm -hmm. mind is this ability that we have to so, uh, uh, and the speaking out loud puts us into that wise state. And another thing that works with it is you don't always have to do it, but if it's really bad, is have two chairs. Or even if you, know, you don't have to set them up, you can just find two chairs and you sit in one where the ping pong thoughts are going around, the intrusive thoughts are like the ping pong. And then you, 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 those thoughts are there. Then the other one, you say, okay, what is that talk? No, we're not going to do it. And you can have a conversation, you shift chairs. So you actually, the wise mind to the messy mind constantly doing that and then knowing that that messy mind is not um, it's not the whole reality it is just the way you're showing up in that moment or in those moments because it could have been going on for years as in the case of of you said you almost from ages of 11 through 22 I think you said that you battled with anorexia mm -hmm. you know that's a lot of no, 32 30, 32. 32 that's yeah. that's 20 that's that's a long time that's just, you mm -hmm. know that's that's a really long time but that those intrusive thoughts by speaking out loud you are in essence stepping into your wise mind and you are creating a um, way of analyzing and standing back and getting a better perspective um, and then pulling those thoughts apart and deciding that's so it's, yeah that's really some good. advice I always give to young people is just to stick up for yourself the way that you would stand up for a best friend. So when you hear your brain telling you those things, you think to yourself, if you are capable of catching it in the moment, and similarly to the whole like, check your register, check your body language when you're talking to a man or talking to someone. Um, I want you to check, listen for the thoughts in your head. And if they are saying ugly things to you, things that you would never tolerate being said mm. to someone that you love, it's very important you stand up for them. It's very important you do not become a bystander in what is in so good. intense emotional abuse. You would step in for anyone else and to step up for yourself, step in so and, and stand up for yourself and say, hey, this is not all that she's worth. She's not not worthy of love because she doesn't have a perfect ass. She's not not worthy of of yeah. joy because she's not perfect at her job. It's it's obscene or because her hair isn't very good today, so therefore no one should treat her with any kindness or respect. There's just it's so important that we listen to the hype, like the cruel hyperbole in our head. Yeah. That tells us always it's constant threat of you're not going to be accepted. People aren't going to like you. You've done something wrong constant constant in our head it's been programmed into yeah. us since we were yeah. pre-verbal yeah. and it's so important to go hang on give her a fucking break yeah she's exactly. doing her best she's great she's good at this 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 and this she's a great friend she's a great mother she's this that and the other she's great at her job leave her alone she doesn't have to look like a fucking victoria's secret model on top exactly. of all of this exactly 
It's just uh, important that we learn how to advocate properly, not just oh, for I love others, that. but also for ourselves. So, no, that is, that is, that's really excellent advice. And it's really that scientific principle, totally in a very practical sense. So thank you for explaining that so well. That That's brilliant. I love that. You, you talk about just talking about the influence of outside at every moment for a moment, if we can transition back to just your mm -hmm. life, because this really, this is so many things that, that I, that you say that they're just so good and they're so helpful. So you spoke about the time when you, we were doing the Hulk and the, you had to do a lot of exercise and you had to learn all these different things and you changed and then, and it really made you feel great. The movement exercise, you're very much an advocate yeah. for that. I, yeah. I, love, I love how you also just talk, talk about, sorry, I just got to say, no. say that you go to the gym and you like, let's go messy. We don't have to wear these, you know, these, oh God, the things that they used to wear when I used to go to gym, the matching leggings and the, these that my kids used to call the up the bum leotards. And I mean, mm. all these things and just go in your like whatever so just just talk around you know that the sort of movement exercise i don't know why your, your kids experience. are so surprised <laughs> i don't know why your kids are so surprised by what you used to wear back then because it's very similar now if anything it's even more like, intensely revealing um yeah. so yeah so basically i'd been you know i used to use exercise as a way to self-abuse uh when i was younger so if i ate something i would have to exercise until i'd burned enough calories to have basically erased that item of food that day and I would even if I had an exam at seven o'clock in the morning or something I would be running uh, on the spot in my bedroom as quietly as I could so that my family wouldn't know what I was doing I'm so sorry to my downstairs neighbor um until 3 a.m just running and running and running and running oh and running gosh. out of terror the so terror sad. of having had a bite of chocolate or a little bit of cake the terror and so I Terrifying. have always I think like a lot of people associated exercise with something you do for weight loss exercise is something that you do to you know the the no pain no gain era that I grew up in saying that you know exercise should kind of be punitive uh in order to be worth anything and I was never it wasn't really explained to me. Some people, you know, have said in the last five or 10 years, yeah, it's really good for your mental health, but no one's really explained why. And so during She-Hulk, there was no way out. I would never have signed up to that job if I knew that I would have to exercise. I was told it was a cameo. And then I got there and they were like, surprise, you're going to do your own stunts. <laughs> and I had to do six months of stunts. And it turned out to be the best wow. thing that ever happened for me because I was so afraid of exercising because I was worried it would slip me back into an eating disorder and it would remind me of those horrible old thoughts Same. and I'd start holding so my body to a certain standard. But I was doing jujitsu and kung fu and I was wearing baggy clothes and everything I was doing was focused on skill, like how flexible are you? How high can you kick? How hard can you hit? And it was all things that had nothing to do with the way that I looked. And it kind of reprogrammed my brain after doing that every single day for months and months and months on end. I think it takes like you were saying like 90 days or something to create like a, sorry, 63, that was it. So it takes 63 days. And so I did multiple of those cycles and in a row and left it realizing that I was the happiest I'd ever been. And my body was bigger because I had to be bigger for the role. So it wasn't because I was suddenly super skinny. I uh, I was certainly like a bit more toned, but mostly I had better balance. I had like more physical confidence like around my safety. I felt like I could kick the fucking shit out of someone. I looked at my <laughs> body completely it. differently. Mm -hmm. And I the, the, the practice of exercising every single day meant that even if I was fucking miserable on the way in to exercise, I always left every time feeling 
autonomous, feeling in my body, feeling connected to my body and feeling happier because I had happy chemicals that had been released into my brain that I had no control over. I was sleeping properly for the first time without any sleeping pills. I didn't need to take my anti-anxiety medication almost the entire time I was there. It was just a phenomenal awakening for me. I needed less coffee. I had more energy and and so since then, I've been trying to bring my audience along for the ride mm -hmm. with me of let's move for your mind. Let's divorce everything from exercise culture. Let's divorce all of the vanity and let's just do this for our brains so we can eat snacks while we're exercising, light snacks yeah. so you don't throw up, like chocolate, all the things <laughs> that we associate with yeah. not being allowed to do if you're yeah. exercising. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're breaking the calories in, calories out kind of cycle of hell. Uh, we're wearing baggy clothes. None of the like matching bra with matching like practical underpants that are lemon colored so everyone can see your asshole, which is fine. I'm not shaming anyone who wears that, but not all of us are that comfortable with, with, with what we look like bending over because we're still, you know, trained to hate ourselves. We're still like looking, you know, the brain is a problem solver and it's looking for the flaws. It's looking for the problem. And so I don't want that to be ex explicitly laid in front of me in a mirror in a dance class when I'm bending over. I just don't no. want to think about my body. It kind of comes back to neutrality. So baggy clothes, eating the forbidden snacks or the sugary drink just beforehand, which by the way is great. If you're going to eat sugar at any point, it's that amazing to do it before exercise because then you don't have a glucose spike. Exactly. So it. And it's not about the calories. It's just you don't get the spike. Which um, doesn't make you feel good. Yeah. No, exactly. And it isn't good for you in the long term. Uh, and it's all about kind of silly movement that isn't based around focusing in on a certain area. Maybe it's walking the dog. Maybe it's walking on your own, listening to a podcast at a civilized pace. Maybe it's doing Zumba, you know, which isn't necessarily the new like cool trendy exercise but it's so fun and feels so good uh or dancing around your kitchen while you're exercising like mrs doubtfire i'm making sure that i do that for 15 minutes to half an hour every single day and my life has completely changed completely changed i'm almost again entirely off med still now i only take Amazing. them when i have to do something really petrifying at work mm -hmm. um but and i'm again i'm very pro medication but i'm off meds i'm i don't need therapy now anymore i think that's because i dealt with my trauma i want to be clear you can't beat ptsd with zumba you have to deal with it no <laughs> no you have to you have to work through it yeah but, you have to um, do the deconstruction reconstruction process yeah but i get so much out of my system and i sleep well and and that improves my mood everything is regulated because I exercise every day just a little bit. And so I'm always reminding people, have you moved your body today just for Wonderful. somewhere between five to 15 minutes? That's all it takes for your brain to start releasing chemicals exactly. that are going exactly. to improve your mood. It's just exactly. that there's nobody who doesn't have an improved mood after moving their body. Exactly. There's nobody, exactly. it's not possible. Are you tired of cycling through the endless amount of trending skincare products that all claim to smooth wrinkles, firm skin and give you a useful glow, but don't really deliver results at the end of the bottle? Well, support for today's episode comes from One Skin, founded by a team of four female PhD-level longevity scientists with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of aging. After testing thousands of peptides, they discovered OS1, the OS1 peptide is scientifically proven to target aged, also called senescent cells, the main source of skin aging and actually reducing the biological age of skin by several years. Their flagship product, OS1 Face, is clinically validated to improve firmness, fine lines and overall tone and appearance. 
Alongside my daily mind management practices, I love using OneSkin to help keep my skin healthy as I age. I have been using this product for just over a month now and have seen such a difference in my appearance. I also love how fast it is absorbed and how it leaves my skin feeling super soft, which is great for the upcoming winter months as no one likes dry skin. Unlike most skincare products on the market, One Skin works deeper than surface level and is designed to promote healthier skin from the inside out. When you have healthier skin, you have better looking skin. Is your current skin regimen clinically proven to reverse the molecular age of your skin? If not, give One Skin a try and see the difference. For a limited time, our listeners can get 15% off One Skin with our code DrLeaf at oneskin.com. That's Dr. Leaf to get 15% of your order at oneskin.com. The link and details will be in the show notes. So I think that that's a big part now of Iway is is allowing people with anorexia or who had have a previous history with body dysmorphia or self-hatred who have a gnarled idea of what exercise is. We are democratizing exercise for those people. We are welcoming them back. It's a place that's for people with disabilities. It is a place that's for fat people or heavily pregnant people or people who don't, who aren't very coordinated. We want you all. If you're not fashionable and stylish and you can't wear heeled trainers in the gym, we want you. Join us. Join me. I'm not coordinated. I don't look cool when I'm moving, but I'm moving because I'm doing it for my brain. So it's all just neurology based work to try to bring exercise back to the masses. It should never have been taken away from us and turned into a weird exclusive cult. Exactly. I cannot agree more. And your mind is $200 a month. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And you could just two minutes of walking around is going to have a massive effect on how your mind, messy mind taps into your wise mind and then heals your brain. You know, so it's all brain building. It's just, it's to get people, as you say, to take away that whole cultish experience and make it accessible. Calorie counting, cultish experience. There's a, sorry, you want to say something? Well, no, I was just going to say people have been messaging me since for the last two years saying it's completely reframed exercise for them and it's improved their mood and got them exercising again at any size. And it it really does make a difference. And so I urge you, if you're listening to this, to just ask yourself, have you moved for even 15 minutes a day? Do it as privately and ridiculously as you want. It doesn't matter what you do. Don't do it for the, for the uh, long term will it show on my body weight loss? Do it for the instant gratification of the fact that you're going to feel better 15 minutes later. Exactly. I beg of you. It's interesting. Our yeah. society is so corrupt in the West because I feel like, you know, I grew up partially in Spain and partially in Pakistan and then in London. And, you know, I grew up in places where family lived close to each other and mm-hmm. we had community and we had villages and it's very similar in, in lots of parts of Europe you know you're walking mm-hmm. distance from everyone and so you have people who look after the baby for you so mm-hmm. when you have a baby you're able to still live a little bit of your life and have a yeah. bit of autonomy and have a bit of yeah. room for romance with your partner whereas yeah. in the United States especially and and the United Kingdom I feel like they have kind of disjointed the units and they've created individualization normalized if anything like almost made it seem compulsory like spouses going off far away from their friends and living together in this little bubble and then they're selling back all the things that we used to naturally have to us so childcare is so expensive like daycare so expensive we no longer are encouraged to include old people in our society we just leave them at the window when they're in their 80s where it's like these people used to be a functioning part of life yeah 
And like my grandparents were alive until their 90s and they were still active and minding the babies and playing cards with the kids. And their brains were more active than a lot of 90 year olds today because they're so understimulated because we've cut elderly people completely out. I went to Germany last year and I couldn't believe it. There's like people in their 80s and 90s out at 11 p.m., drinking coffee together, having a great time, sharp conversation, funny. And I was like, God, this is so different to where I live, where we just dispose of these people when they're no longer able to, uh, you know, they're not making active income, so therefore they can't spend. So we throw them away. We make no space for children. We make no space for teenagers. And we make no space for adults because they, sorry, for the elderly, because as far as we're concerned, if they can't contribute to the economy, then they're just a burden who is to be ignored until they're no longer an issue. And it's so detrimental to our society because those are the people who are supposed to be the ones that we lean on. We, we, you know, we have all these different types of therapy, which I think is wonderful. But again, like a lot of the mental health issues, a lot of the mental health issues and, and physical issues people are seeing, are we're seeing scientists, the US like Surgeon General of the United States says that lon- loneliness is, yeah, exactly, so have I. And he's he said that loneliness is one of the biggest killers on earth. We didn't used to have that loneliness. I don't have a perfect relationship with my family. And so I'm not saying that that's for everyone. But we used to live by, you know, my my mother used to live near her best friend and, you know, and then around the corner and we got, we were friends with our neighbors. It was a different world in Spain and Pakistan. And those places Very aren't necessarily different. perfect, but it is weird how they've taken everything from us and exercise is included from that. Exercise is a natural, normal thing that we all used yeah. to do. And now exactly. it's been taken from us. We've been told, oh, no, you don't look good enough to join us in exercise. And now we charge you for it. It's free. It's fucking free to go for a exactly. fucking walk. Exactly. It's just, uh, I know, I probably sound like a mad conspiracy theorist on this podcast. No, you, but, no, but you I don't think, at all. You know, I've spoken about these things and you you explain it so beautifully. I've spoken about this so much. The whole problem with individualization, the whole problem yeah. with moving away from the community, the whole problem. And I saw the difference in my community and I saw the difference in my research and all that kind of thing. So I'm totally on the same page as you. And I'm not yeah, trying to shit on America that. and the UK because I know that these places are also amazing in many ways and they have many yes, freedoms absolutely. and protections exactly. that most countries they don't have. Don't I think have. it's important exactly. not to just like say this place sucks, but I do think that we are not living up to our potential in these countries because other countries yeah would like why not keep tweaking it just because it's not perfect doesn't mean we shit on it it just means that we say hey we have a huge population of people that i why are we discarding them and disregarding them like what are we doing is every arrow is pointing towards capitalism commercialism and, and acquisition and it's it's just it it's it's leaving people feeling like I'm not a very spiritual person, but I think people can feel the spiritual void because this is not how we're supposed to function. No, that, yeah, that spiritual void is 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 the community aspect that you're talking about. That we need each other. There's this one um, quantum physicist that I follow, and he he made he makes a statement that is it's of everything he's done. This statement really got me, and it was that it's not about you; it's about you in the world. And that's for me like a definition of of being spiritual. It's it's the connection that we have with each other, the deep, meaningful connection that we need. And that's what you're talking about, you know, as well. I mean, the Surgeon General, his one of his recommendations is to get more community. I mean, this is like let's get the community thing going again, which is like so important because then we can have all these checks and balances in place, which we don't have at the moment. Um, I was 26. I was sort of flying very high in my career. I just made history. 
uh, at the BBC as the first woman to host like a big flagship show solo in its 60 years on air. And, you know, I was a a fairly prominent name at the time in England, which is very easy because England is um, the size of a tiny cat's arsehole. So everyone (laughs) can become famous there very easily. So I don't like aggrandize myself for that. But, uh, you know, I was also, I was still in, but I was also Indian and I was, you know, odd and uh kooky and so you know it was just the right I was in the right place at the right time I did a decent job and uh everything was going really well and and our society has a real a really wild lust and and a huge appetite for the humiliation of women especially women who've been put on a pedestal and most of the time the women who are put on that pedestal had no say in being put up there. We had no, we, we had nothing to do with it. We were just chosen. I was just chosen by the media to be like, we're just going to put her everywhere and give her every campaign and this that, and the other. And, you know, you're very grateful while it's happening, but you also have no idea, especially when you're young, that that pedestal is just a trap door into a, a dungeon that's full of lava and snakes uh, because you're only allowed to fly so high for so long and we look at every single female celebrity ever. Yeah. If she she didn't make a conscious effort to completely remove herself like a kind of Zendaya or a Meryl Streep, all these different, like Mm -hmm. Kate Winslet, just to disappear uh, for long periods of time and stay very, very quiet and be very obedient a lot of the time, um, then they're eaten alive eventually. Normally at their highest point, they're suddenly dragged down and it's a very con- like um, a, a well-coordinated effort by the media where everyone just sort of seemed to have gotten the same memo that we hate her now and we're going to make sure that the public hates her too. And the public are hugely complicit in this. Uh, and so I just wanted to make that point about the fact that like, you know, I was flying high. We love to see a woman humiliated, especially when she's been aggrandized. And I had pneumonia. Uh, because I was just working too hard and so I was put on steroids because I was having to you know do a DJ tour that was 40 dates uh, almost in a row all different cities and so I needed to be able to breathe if I was going to be doing that you know it's a really exhausting really exhausting life DJing Um, and so even though the job isn't hard the travel is quite intense yeah Um, and you're DJing at like three o'clock in the morning so you're not sleeping I wasn't sleeping more than one or two hours a night And so I gained a lot of weight very quickly as you do on steroids Mm -hmm. and that should have been fine because I'm a human being who needed to take a pill to to survive. Uh, My life literally depended on it. And, uh, And I was also on the radio, so it's not like anyone could even see me. And therefore, no one should be at all interested in what I look like because it's just my voice. And yet the paparazzi caught a photograph of me leaving the radio studio and then noticed that I'd gained a sizable amount of weight and the media started to report on it immediately. It was shortly after I'd made that, you know, that historical jump in that job. And I'd gained several hundred thousand listeners, which is very rare when someone takes over a, you know, a big slot uh, like the one that I had. And instead of reporting that, they just reported that I'd gained several clothing sizes. And then instantly I started being from the day that the photographs aired and they were everywhere and they were on every front cover of every tabloid magazine uh, from as many humiliating angles as possible. My mouth's open, my eyes are half, you know, closed and slightly cross-eyed. Uh, and, you know, I'm midair. For so- somehow they got me midair as I was running oh for a cab gosh. or something. Um, and I just looked miserable in all the photos. And s- overnight, the stalking from the paparazzi began where it's like oh this is amazing this like former you know model-esque girl has gained weight 
and let's just go out of our way to humiliate her. And so they would park outside my house, several men, like a group of men would be parked outside my house all day, all night, uh, waiting to get photographs of me. If I would drop my keys, I'd forget that they were there. I'd go pick up my keys. There'd be a picture of my ass bent over on the cover of magazines. And, and one thing that made me feel really sad is that it was one of the happiest years of my life. I was really in love. I was having loads of great fun times. I I felt good about myself. I felt good about myself. I felt sexy. I was uh, making extraordinary like career strides for me, just this like kid from a video shop now living like my wildest dreams and in all the photographs of me I look miserable they've caught moments where I'm not paying attention um and the camera's from so far away and I'm walking with friends but they've managed to take the photo so it looks always like I'm alone even though I was always with other people in these pictures to kind of create a narrative of before she was happy and now she's fat she's lonely and she's sad and she's tired all the time and that was so grotesque. This was obviously after the steroid. I was, I was no, I was no longer sick now. I was recovered, but I was just still big. And, and I started getting offered these weight loss deals from all these companies, saying we'll pay you a lot of money to uh, and get you a personal trainer, and you can say you used our product or our training gym or our this, that, and the other, and we'll take humiliating yes. photographs of you. They, they don't frame it exactly with the word humiliating, but they're like, we'll take unflattering photographs of oh you like, gosh, in an ill-fitting bikini, eating a burger, running on the beach. And I've now seen those photos of celebrities who have a, yeah. big, a big like public weight loss. Yeah. We always see the photograph where they're in a curiously small bikini. <laughs> where yeah. you're like, that, there's no way that you thought that I was going to be comfortable. No. Why are you wearing something that's four sizes too small for you? Small, Women exactly. know how to shop for our bodies. Come on now. Exactly. Why exactly. is she like mouth open, eyes wide? Like, why are all the photographs always running with it? Who runs with a hamburger? Who eats a burger on the beach? On the beach. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> and sand everywhere. Exactly. No, it's just, And yeah. so it's a setup. And mm -hmm. I learned explicitly that it's a setup to be able yeah. to sell the well-lit, posed, thin photograph of you uh, that they show later on to encourage other people to join their fad diet. I said no. I pushed back against the media. I went and spoke uh, in Parliament, which is our British government, about the disgusting way in which women are treated. And I started releasing plus-size clothing lines to push back and just be like, maybe this is me now. Maybe I'm just big. And everyone can just fuck off because I'm on the radio. So I was like, as long as I'm not big to the point where I can't open my mouth. I'm a radio journalist. It's none of your business. And I I think the weight came off slowly and naturally once I was off medication over seven years or something. Five, four years, five years. I remember, but it took years and years and years until my body went anywhere near what it was before. I will never be as thin as I was before ever again. And I don't want to be and I don't need to exactly. be. Exactly. There we go. I'm glad you said that. Mm -hmm. But I... Um, but I... Uh, I um, I was amazed by the way that I was treated and dehumanized and the public and women were so mean to me publicly on Twitter. And it was just internalized misogyny and hatred of women. And it just started a fight between me and the media where I was like, I'm not fucking scared of you mm. because I can see that you ruined my life as a kid. You took my innocence away. You showed Terrible. me images like this, like the ones you're putting yes. up of me. Yes. 
you, you, I saw mm. those images of, you know, like a beautiful Queen Latifah on the cover of a magazine in a swimsuit with beached whale written across her body. Like I saw these images. I saw a, a thin Bridget Jones's diary being called fat in every single scene, a thin Martine McCutcheon in Love Actually being told how dumpy and fat she is. Like all of those things were internalized. These people do not have the right to treat us this way. And so I have a very content, like contentious or tricky relationship with the media, but I refuse to bow down to them because I think they have a responsibility to do right by at the very least, the young people who are consuming this, they really don't understand that they're ruining lives. They really don't understand that anorexia is the highest cause of death in any mental illness. They really don't take, they have no accountability for the harm that they do. And so, you know, it's cost me a lot of money and it's cost me a lot of career stuff to be so outspoken about diet products and media for as yeah. long as I have. But I wouldn't have done it any other way because I couldn't live with myself if I just silently learned this many secrets about how grotesque this industry is uh, and can be better. Again, I love this industry. I don't want to leave. I want it to step up to its full potential, but yeah. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't pull back the speak, curtain and show everyone up. what I know because I'm doing it for the 12-year-old that didn't know any better. Exactly. Beautiful. That was horrific what you went through. And that's, I thank you for sharing that. I really wanted people to hear that part of your life because it was so wrong and how you staying in the industry but you bettering the industry so you're not bad mouthing the industry you're just showing what's wrong with the industry last question but definitely not the last conversation because mm. we've only just begun i mean you are outstanding you're phenomenal and you're i just very love kind. talking to you and we don't have to do a long conversation because we can always pick it up in another one i don't know how short we can make this but diet culture is really what's been bred out of this whole awful image conscious sort of controlling a woman's what they look like can you talk a little bit about diet cultures yeah it's just look it's just it's it's diet culture is almost just culture now you know it's it's yeah. so heavily infused into the psyche of society that it's become hyper normalized it's not normal to live in these temporary phases of deprivation and punishment it doesn't work 95 percent of diets fail uh we are again it's just it's just all about capitalism the diet industry is a multi 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 billion dollar industry it's one of the biggest industries in the world and yeah it only makes you sick and it only makes you unhappy. The only thing you can do is try to eat as organically as possible, eat good, nutritious, whole foods that have not been genetically modified. Try and eat. If you eat meat, don't eat meat that's got hormones in it. Filter your water. Try to stay away from the evils of the way they treat food in the United States and yeah. in certain other countries because it's mm -hmm. really scary when I go to Europe how like all my health problems go away. I, it's unreal, um, isn't it? I find the same so thing, yeah. Work hard to, you know, like make sure that your lifestyle changes and your mental health care and physical health care happen at the dinner table. That for me has been the most poignant thing. Uh, and do your best to stay away from anything that's telling, that's making false promises to you and big promises to you. Do not spend the rest of your life trying to shrink yourself because it will not gain you any happiness. It might gain you a tiny bit of attention at first, but it's not worth it. And it's something that I really want to try to erase from our culture uh, because the culture of, you know, what we need to do if we want people to be healthy is just teach children about cooking. Yeah. Teach yeah. children about real, real nutrition, about the vitamins mm -hmm. and minerals and gut health and all these different things. Mm -hmm. That's how we fix our society. We don't do it by telling people to binge and starve and binge and starve and binge and starve. It's a mental illness that we're creating. Exactly. And so the culture I want to create is just information culture. 
Oh, I love that. And that's where we on the same page. That's why I've written the book that I just wrote mm-hmm. recently, really helping parents help children with their mental health. Is That's part of it. It's get their mind to a point where they can actually have the tools and the mental skills to be able mm-hmm. to deal with all these things that are coming at us from the outside and be able to stand back and say, this makes me feel bad about myself. Exactly. It's it. We have the power to remedy most of these things at home. We can cook at home. We, we can go to a farmer's market. We can cook at home. We can exercise dancing around our living at room. Home. We mm-hmm. can read your book and learn some of the tips and tricks, how to neurocycle. We do not need to outsource absolutely every single facet exactly. of our being exactly. to the government or to big, you know, giant corporation moguls is very important and it's been deliberate for us to be kept from understanding that so that if we feel constantly in need and we become increasingly infantilized and increasingly impatient then we will continue to outsource every single one of our needs and that's very dangerous I think it's important to restore autonomy the more autonomous I become the less infantilized I allow myself to be the infinitely happier and more wholesome my life has become Oh, that is such a beautiful testament. It's like the um, the beautiful way of explaining the heavy scientific research I do where we see that increased autonomy leads to the ability to just look at those toxic things in your life and to actually not see them as barriers, but as challenges to overcome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see that change in how we function when we apply these beautiful principles. You explain things so well. You have such a great gift for explaining very important things in a way that's a very important concepts that are very thanks well relevant. i fucked up a lot so you know i've been able You've to learn from my experience. mistakes and that's neurologically how we make our how we do our best learning isn't it from making mistakes and Absolutely. i'm the queen of mistakes and and everything i've learned has almost been by doing it wrong the first time and the reason i'm so outspoken is because i'm like i'm made i've made the mistake so you don't have to here's what i learned Good there luck. you go it's all part of, as I, it's, there you go. Well, this podcast is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. And I always tell everyone it's okay to be a mess. And you've just shown we have mess. We can manage our mess and we can move forward. You've been amazing. Thank you so much for all the time you've spent with me. And I hope that, not I hope, I know this won't be our last. No, absolutely not. Thank you for what you do. <laughs> Bye. Bye.